Good to see everybody here tonight. Welcome. All right, well, we're finishing up this series called Neighboring, and uh, we're going to start a new one starting next week. I'm really excited about it and can't wait to share that with you. But tonight we're going to wrap it up, and we've been talking about neighboring. And of course, this has coincided with the beginning and the starting of our small groups, which are so incredibly important to the life here at Valley. I'm going to explain a little more about that tonight. But before I do, just kind of want to set a little stage for you. You know, when the church first began to gather, it started with 12 men. Jesus went and found him 12 men from various different walks of life, from various different emotional and uh, uh, experiences, different places and, you know, different statuses, if you will. And he gathered them together. He began pouring into them. And he did incredible miracles. He did incredible things. And to the point where these men were just awed. And, and, and really, Peter was given that revelation when he said, you are the Messiah. You're the son of the living God. And all of them must have looked at one another and said, yes, even the winds and the waves obey him. They were overwhelmed. And then, of course, what happened? Jesus was crucified. He was killed, murdered right there in front of them, turned their lives absolutely upside down. Then, of course, three days later, he rose from the dead. And, of course, that took some time for them to believe, even though then they began to realize, you know, he's been telling us that this was going to happen for quite some time. And then eventually, he appears before them and says, look, you know, put your hand in my side, feel the holes. And, of course, now they're overwhelmed. The world is turned upside down. I mean, if we can just get there emotionally just for a moment and just think, you know, everything you've ever known, everything you've ever thought, you feel like over the last three years you've been such, I'm put on such an emotional roller coaster, it, it, it's hard to even describe. And then, of course, he says, I'm going to leave. And he says, I'm going away, and I'm going to go and play, prepare a place for you, and you're going to come, but until that time, you're going to stay here. And, of course, they're looking at each other, and there must have been those feelings of abandonment. abandonment. talked about that before. But he said, look, I'm going to give you power. You're going to be my witnesses. Wait here in Jerusalem until I give you the gift I promised you're going to give you. And then, of course, the Holy Spirit does come, and they're all filled with new boldness. But there is this sense of the church in its beginnings. 3,000 people come to Christ in one day. It's amazing. It's overwhelming. But what do they do next? They're overwhelmed with just all of what is happening. Not only, of course, is, is, is they're just being shocked that it's not just 12 men anymore, but in their families. It's not just 120. This thing has expanded. And, and, and on top of that, they're, they're, they're hated and, uh, and threatened by the Sanhedrin and by the Pharisees. And, and there's just that low-level sense of, okay, we don't know how long this is going to last before they strike out against us, perhaps even crucified us like they did Jesus. And then on top of that, you've got the Roman army who's sitting at every cross point, at every checkpoint, in every place you would go, there would be an armed guard, a Roman soldier, looking after and watching over everything you've done. The whole city is occupied. So if we can just kind of think for a moment, what would it have been like to be a Christian then? <laughs> I mean, the first Christians. And your world is just literally turned upside down. And so, but the Spirit of God is there. And he's leading them. He's helping them. He's saying, look, you are now forming what is going to become the church. And so they do some things which are critical to not only their survival, but to their success. And to them, 
they remember Jesus' last words to them, other than, you know, wait for my Holy Spirit. He says, look, I want you to go into all the whole world. And they're thinking to themselves, we're just trying to survive here in Jerusalem, much less go to the whole world. So they must be thinking, Jesus, I don't know. I mean, they're looking at one another. How how are we going to make this happen? How are we going to go and share this gospel everywhere when we don't even know where we're going to get our bread for the next day? How are we going to even survive this thing? must have been an overwhelming experience. And yet this is where the church is. This is who they are. This is, they're, they're, they're filled with incredible sense of purpose and destiny. But how is it going to happen? How is it going to play out? There are the threats. There are the natural threats. There's the political threats. There, there, there is that low-level sense of just confusion and just you know, always bordering on the, whether this thing is going to go happen. Can I, can I just kind of throw us right into this, this reality that we might not be far off of that ourselves right now? I mean, if you talk to us as an eldership, as pastors about 10, year, uh, 10 years, 10 months ago, We'd have been sitting, or even, I guess it's almost a year, close to a year now. And you would have asked us, where's the church going to be? Where are we, what's happening? Our world has just been turned upside down, and we've been told we've got to close churches. We've, you know, and even, even now there's just kind of that low-level thought of, where's the church going to be? Where are Christians going to be? And it's just this kind of underlying heaviness that it's out there. My point is this, we've been there before. In fact, the church has always been in that atmosphere. And so we shouldn't be surprised. We shouldn't be overwhelmed by that. In fact, we should embrace it. And so my question tonight, as we wrap this all up, and we're talking about neighboring, we're going to see that Jesus said, look, there's only one thing you can do, and that is to go forward. And that is to be what he's called us to be and to do what he told us to do. So we're looking at one another. Okay, what's going to happen to the church? Well, does it really matter? Let's just get back to doing what he told us to do. And as we get back to doing what he's told us to do, perhaps we will find that we don't have to worry about all these things. So the question I have for us tonight is, what do we do now? (laughs) What are we called to do? And are we aware of that? And, and without question, the more that we embrace the purpose of what God has called us to be and to do, more, the more we will find the energy, the power, the wherewithal, and the success in, or, in order to be able to do it. The church endured some persecution. And they were attacked immediately after the Holy Spirit, after the church began to grow in numbers and people were coming. They didn't like what was going on there, and they don't like that in the world today. They don't like to see people getting set free. They don't like to see people experiencing joy and peace and freedom and lack of fear. They don't like that. The enemy of our souls doesn't like that. And so, of course, the enemy leaps and and, and goes after the church and Peter and, and, uh, uh, Peter and John are attacked and persecuted and beaten and told never to speak in this name again, but they're just like, sorry, we got to do what we're called to do. And not only did they, they not stop, but God re-empowered them. And then he also gave them wisdom as to do what to do next. And so we find here in Acts chapter 2, verses 40, uh, 46 and 47, 
Something that, that I like to call the blueprint of the church. What it is that we're supposed to be doing. And it's really, really important that we come back to this, revisit this, to look at the template, to see, you know, after a while when you've been designing something, you've been working on something, and you, and you forgot to go back to the template, you can, and you compare the original temp- template to something you've been working on, you're like, whoa, I'm way off. And, and that's what we're supposed to do is go back to what, what is it that the church learned, they discovered, what, what made them so fruitful. And we find it right here in Acts chapter 2, verses 46 and 47. And it says this, With one accord, they continued to meet daily in the temple courts and to break be- bread from house to house, sharing their meals with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Now, like I like to do, I like to start at the end. And let's look at the end. And what does the end tell us? And it says, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So they were successful. They were growing. They weren't just, they weren't shrinking. They weren't losing members. They weren't losing the converts. In fact, in the light of all the persecution, all the struggle, all of the fear, and all of the threats, they were growing. And it says the Lord was doing it. Now, so here's the question. What were they doing that made that happen? Well, let's just take a look. First of all, we find it right here. They were in, right off the bat, they were in one accord. Let's take a minute to look at that. They were in unity. See, struggle, difficult times, cause people to come together. And that's a good thing. And that's what happens with the church. And, and, and what can happen to us. But before we even get to that, I think we can all agree that unity is a good thing. But you know what? A lot of times the, the church is like herding cats, as they say. Trying to buy, get a bunch of people together to all decide that we're going to do, do, get something done. But because we have so many people who think differently about how to get it done... And man, it come, it, it, you know, we've, we lose the forest for the trees. We, go, we get overwhelmed by, by the, the, the dissonance. And anybody who's ever been on a team, you know, therefore a team to win, it has to have unity. And where there's disunity, there's actually the word called division or division. And what is that? Literally, if you break it down, it means two visions. And when you have two visions, you actually have, you know, disagreement. You have struggle. As a matter of fact, we find this to be absolutely true, that this is one of the tactics of the devil. To tear at a family, to tear at a team, to tear at a group, to tear at a community, to tear at a church, to tear at us even on an individual. A double-minded person is unstable in all their ways. Division is it absolutely opens us up the door to the door uh, the door to confusion and a breakdown and a lot of times when it's that confusion then we forget what it is that we're called to do because we're so so much arguing about how we do it that we never actually get it done i mean take for instance a team if the whole time the guys are sitting in the huddle talking about football here or even basketball you know at the timeout hey we need to do this we need and if everybody has a different idea of how the game ought to be played you're not going to be successful. In fact, some of the greatest teams are not the ones that have the most talent, 
but as the ones who have the most unity. And the ones who were able to work together to really make. The church discovered this. And you see it right here as a part of the formula for them to experience the kind of fruitfulness that God wanted them to have. It was unity. And this, of course, was an act of the Spirit of God, no doubt. And what I'm I'm right here is that it's an act of the Spirit of God and a prerequisite to success. Got to have it. Got to have it. And so when you have disunity, you know, there's many different ways you can deal with it. But, you know, obviously, you know, in the church, it's kind of hard. You know, you don't come to somebody and just say, hey, look, you're you're out of line. You need to leave. You know, that's not really, I mean, you could do that on a team. You know, the quarterback's got a different idea. The coach just fires him, right? You, you, you see that in a business. You see it's, it's harder in a church, obviously. And so in that sense, we've got to work together to try to come to that sense of unity. And we leave it in God's hands. So it has to be a work of the Spirit. And before too long, what happens is if somebody's not in step with the Spirit, they're not going to be in step with everyone else. And so it becomes obvious and, and uncomfortable. And, and that's why the church often struggles. But let's talk about the power of unity here a little bit more. It says, you know, one can put to flight a thousand, two can put to flight ten thousand. See, when a group of people, it doesn't even matter even the size, it says here that even two can do amazing things. Let's let's think about Gideon. Only 300 soldiers, and, and not all of them were even really soldiers being led by a guy who had no personal confidence except to just say, God, I'm doing what you're telling me to do. To actually fight and defeat an army of well over 100,000 well-armed, well-trained soldiers. I mean, this is in the Bible. And you look at these kind of miracles, they're, they're on purpose to show us. Not so much that God is, can do awesome things, which of course, he can't. But what God wants us to see is that when we get in unity with one another, it doesn't matter what size we are. It doesn't matter what, we've, you know, what we can accomplish. It's incredible when we come together and we share a vision together. Incredible. And so God knows this. In fact, God knew this so much that when during the, to- the Tower of Babel, because you can actually see the negative version of this, that when mankind or men get together and they come into unity and then decide to do something evil, well, of course, that has its exponential factor as well. When mankind decided that they were going to build a tower, you know, the Tower of Babel, up to heaven, and God even looked at him and he says, you know, they're, they're in incredible unity right now. They have decided they're going to build and become like me. And he says, not going to happen. So he confused. What did he do? He brought disunity to shut that thing down. In fact, when Gideon won, it was an absolute study in comparison of a small army in unity against a huge army in disunity. Because you know how they got defeated? They destroyed each other, right? Gideon didn't even have to do a thing. All he did was put a stupid torch inside a jar and throw it down on the ground and make, make a bunch of noise. And there you go. God did the rest. Unity is amazing stuff. Disunity is is, is amazing stuff too. 
But here we find the church gathering together, and it says they were in one accord. They had determined in their heart, we are going to do what God has told us to do. Excuse me, I think 3,000 coming into the church on the single day was a little too much. I, what are we going to do with all these people? Who cares? God brought them to us. We'll figure it out. Because God, if God brings us his fruit, if God does amazing things, then God certainly has the plan to help us make it all happen. So they start off with unity. Under leadership that has a vision for God, who have been prepared for that day, not perfect men, but certainly men who were ready to listen to the voice of God and to lead. So secondly, what else did they do? It says they met in a large gathering. So they met from temple, in the temple and from house to house. We'll get to the house to house part here in a second. But they gathered together in the courtyard of the temple. Now, there was many different reasons for that, which I won't go into. But I just want to point out the fact that they knew it was important to come together congregationally. They saw it was important to come all together in one spot. And there's many different reasons. Well, obviously unity, but also the encouragement that comes when you get all together. You know, when you get together in a large group here in a congregation. Now, we, you know, during, during COVID and things like that, we've, we've maintained, you know, even though we've had some, you know, lots of folks who didn't feel comfortable in coming back to church, and, and we work with it. We kept the four different services because we wanted space. But you know what? That, that, that kind of strikes against you a little bit because you remove that sense of togetherness. It, it, it makes you feel like, I mean, nobody wants to go to a concert, you know, that, and the lights come up and all the wonderful things, and you're only one. woo Oh, you like that? Okay, well, there's, there's always one. But anyway, I'm kidding, my friend. But no, no, no. You like going to the... Ah, right? And you just, you just get drawn into it, and man, you just go from... one. The largeness, the bigness, the sense... I want, I'm here to propose something to you that that is biblical. Why did God create angels? Why did he create them? Well, before he created man... He says they were for his glory. And what do they do in heaven? Play cards? They worship. And it says they're a sea of sound, a cacophony of praise that goes up before the Lord. You know something? You're going to hear that. We're all going to hear that. And on top of that is going to be a great cloud of witnesses. Now, I love that. It says a great cloud. That means they're all together. They're not in separate little clouds. A great cloud of many little witnesses all spread out. No, 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 no. All together. When we come together as a mass, there is power in that. There is, and everything's added on top of it, the unity, the sense of togetherness, the sense of the, the power that comes when looking across the aisle and saying, man, I'm not the only one out there doing that. Brother, man, it's, how's your week been? Kind of rough. But when we're together, there is that sense of unity exponentially multiplied. As a matter of fact, David speaks of this. He says, I will gather in a congregation of the saints where your anointing is poured out. There's a special anointing that comes. Now, hey, look, I like watching, you know, services online. I mean, I, I don't mind doing that, but it's amazing. Isn't this right, 
Pastor Jamie, how many people have come to us and just said, it wasn't the same. It just wasn't the same. Of being there, feeling his presence, being there with others. Now, I'm not saying this in, 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 in the light of anything else that's going on out there, folks. I'm just, what I'm trying to do is inspire us, to stir us. That what we have been given is a tremendous gift and we need to stick to it. We need to stick to what it is that God has given to us as a gift. So they gathered, thousands of them in the temple courts. They couldn't go in the temple. They probably couldn't even all get in. And they would sing songs and hymns. And then Peter or John would stand out there and teach. And, and they would stand there and say, look, we were with Jesus, and this is what he told us. And they begin to recite the words, the teachings of Christ. Their hearts would be filled up, and they'd look at one another and then they would go back into their homes, encouraged and built up, knowing that they weren't alone, that they were a part of something, the body of Christ. Powerful stuff. So this is what they did. The whole time, Pharisees on the outside looking at them. What are you doing? You think you're better than us? We're only tolerating you being here today. If it were in our power, we'd kick you all out of here in a heartbeat. And they were looking for opportunities to do that. They were looking for opportunities to do it. The church existing, thriving under that constant cloud of the enemy to try to break it up, to try to come against it, but you can't. We are his people, called according to his purposes. Salt and light moving forward, changing the world, being what we're called to be. See, when we gather together as a congregation, unity is exemplified. It's shown, it's felt, it's, it's experienced. Very good stuff. And then they met from house to house. And that was an important piece because they would go from that and they would all hear the teachings and then they would go to the home and they would, they would go deep dive on those teachings. They'd say, well, what does this really mean, Uncle Benjamin? What does this mean? Tell me. I mean, Jesus taught about, you know, the meek would inherit the earth. What does that mean? And they would begin to talk about it and they would tell, talk about more. Well, you know, Jesus taught this and we saw him do that. Well, then that's what it really means. Matter of fact, why don't we invite John to our next house group and let John tell us a little bit more. And they would then just basically dig in into the words of Jesus and they would, they would begin to apply them to the, their lives. They'd ask questions. There would be an interactive experience that would take place. And it says they were met from house to house. And that was incredibly important to the church to be able to exist and to grow and to do and take the gospel right out into the streets. Now, here's something that you have to understand: that the church didn't really grow nearly as much in that big gathering as it did from the house to house. Statistically, we find that to be true in most nations, and especially here. Ninety-five percent. Now catch this, 95% of people who come to Christ do so as a result of a personal relationship. Sorry, it's, it's only 4% are crusade evangelism. Only 1% in any other way. The result, and why is that true? Well, it makes sense. 
If you've got something important to say, I, I want to know. I'm, I'm looking at the package. I'm looking at the person. I trust you. You're a person. I came to Christ as a result of my brother Robert sharing the gospel with me. And I've so many times, I've seen that to be true. And you know what? God counts on it. That one person, one person in a family gets saved, the chances of everybody getting saved is very huge. We've got some testimonies of that, don't we? <laughs> Sitting right here. That's the way it's supposed to work. You know, the Greek word for house or household is oikos. And what's unique, if you study that word, it has, it, it only, it, it, it's only a small uh, part of it means a literal building. The oikos really means your sphere of relationships. That's your household. The people that you spend time with, the people that you connect with during the week, so the church, really, if we only think about the gathering like we're doing on Thursday nights or on Sunday mornings, if we only think, and of course, what I'm, I started that because I don't want to diminish it. It's important that we do that. But it's also equally important that we gather from house to house. And we gather together with other Christians, and we let that be an opportunity where we're praying for the people in our oikos. We invite those people in our world into that, and we begin to share the gospel, and we, inv and we invite them into an atmosphere. Maybe they just, you know, marriage broke up. Maybe they're having financial difficulties. Who knows? But now they've got, a, they've got people that they're connecting to. And this is how the gospel spread. This is how the church took off and multiplied, right, Pastor Jamie? Beyond just adding, and it's interesting, Jamie was sharing this with me, that in the first seven chapters of the book of Acts, it says, and the Lord added to the number, added, 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 but then, in ch is it chapter seven, Jamie, that it says, and the Lord multiplied them. Because you get to the exponential point where the church begins to really impact its community. So, what am I saying in all this, folks? I'm telling you that when we as a church even under the most difficult circumstances, if we begin to pull back and forget what we're called to do, then we're missing it. In fact, we're supposed to be. We're like the 82nd Airborne. We're supposed to be surrounded. I love that, 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 that statement when they ask him, you know, you guys are in for big trouble. He goes, look, we're supposed to be surrounded. That's us. That's the church. We're supposed to be surrounded. <laughs> We're supposed to be living with darkness all around. We're, we're supposed to be living in a situation where we're maybe that close away from losing our lives or, or that close away, away from per being persecuted for what we believe. It's not that I'm inviting it. I'm not in, but here's the deal. Almost 90% of Christians in the world are living under those conditions right now, which is incredible when you really think of it. As Americans, we've enjoyed such a freedom. I don't know how much longer we're going to. But the rest of the church around the world, they are underground. They are constantly under observation. They are constantly restricted. I'll tell you a real quick story. We went to Ireland a few years ago. Took the youth. And one of the things that God had placed on our heart, some of the youth, Devin, uh, Jamie's oldest son, was with us, and several other, uh, Tate, my son, and a few others. I think Meredith went as well. Anyway, we took a, about a half a dozen uh, teenagers. And we went over there, and one of the things I ran into right off the bat, of course, I knew this was true, that Ireland, as wonderful as a country it is, the church is restricted. 
you can't just go out and preach the gospel on the corners. You can't go just give out, you know, it, it's, you can't do what we are enjoying doing. Even in Ireland, you'd say, Ireland? Yeah. And so what we did is we just sat there in this, what used to be a pub. I thought that was interesting, right? And we just had him, Devin was with his guitar, Tate was playing drums, and I think Meredith was there singing, and, and they were just right at the entrance of the just, and all of a sudden, young people, as they were getting out of school, start gathering around. Now, this little church of about 25, 30 people didn't have any youth, not a one. But when we were done, they had a youth group that was about 20 kids in just the week that we were there. Because they began to come, and they're like, what's going on? Of course, the whole American thing, they thought we talked like Australians. We're like, wait, but we're Americans. Didn't understand that one. But anyway... But they came into the church, and, and, and we witnessed to them. We shared the gospel with them. They ended up getting saved, and they were the first youth group. Matter of fact, several months later, they told us that every one of those kids came back, and they were pouring into them and discipling them. It was amazing. It was amazing. Because that's the way the church is supposed to function. It's for us to be salt and light. It's us not giving up, even in that situation. We're able to come. Now, and, and I believe that God used me apostolically in that way to come and spoke. I spoke to the pastor. I said, look, you see all those young people? I said, snag them up. Invite them. And that's what they did. Became a group right there in their church, which then became several of them got involved in a conservatory of music. And that's incredibly fun and cool. All the things that took place there as a result of just putting that little seed of faith of going out and house to house. Folks, we've got to take the gospel to, into people's lives. That's where we've got to take it, okay? A lot of fear out there, a lot of confusion, a lot of weirdness. It is, it, it, I mean, it is such a surreal time. Can, can, can you agree with me on that? We look at this and just say, man, am I living in some kind of weird, you know, matrix situation? Did, did I somewhere, you know, Take the blue pill, however that works. I mean, that's where we are. But the church is supposed to continue to be the church, even in the midst of all of that. What else did they do? Well, they shared with one another. It says they shared what they had in common. They gathered together as things got a little tighter, as, things became, as they began getting ostracized because of their walk with Christ, as they got kicked out of the synagogues, as their businesses began to not be frequented nearly as much. Notice that. Their businesses got shut down. They began gathering together, and they cared for one another. They made it. In fact, not only did they, they, not only did they uh, thrive, but they began to grow. And, in, and it says they, they grew and started to enjoy the favor of all the people. And I'm telling you, folks, that's how it happens. Now, I'm not patting myself. Jamie was there. You know, we, were, we had lunch the other day, and we were getting ready to go, and there was these two young mamas, they both had little babies, and they just looked exhausted from having to watch up to these little babies. And got up in the front, and I just said, look, give me your, give me your, your bills. Paid for both of their lunches. And he was like, no, no. They were just so shocked, weren't they, Jamie? He was like, you can't do that. And I'm like, I'm doing it. I said, look at you. I said, you guys are working so hard to care for those babies. I said, Jamie and I both have five of our own, you know, and we know how hard it is. Here. They were so astounded by that simple act of love. That's how you change the world right there. One sandwich, one meal, one love, one prayer. 
I got to tell you about another one. You know, I did a painting for a person that just got me uh, on, online. And some of the paintings that I do are for people that have passed on, and, and you know, I'll paint anything. And anyway, they drove up into my, park, my driveway to come and get their painting. And I just happened to be outside, and I gave it to them, and they were all masked up and everything, and I was, you know, trying to keep my distance, you know. Wanted to throw it in the window, but I thought that wasn't real cool. I gave it to him. And she came out of the car, and she goes, look, I just want to let you know, his sister, his only surviving family member, died just this morning. And on the painting were all of his best friends that had passed away in just the last year. And I was like, I am not letting him get out of this driveway without <laughs> closing this deal. And so I just said, you know, can you roll your window down? I said, I said, I just wanted to meet you. His first name was Frank. I, Frank, I just wanted to meet you. And I said, can I pray for you? And he said, sure. So I leaned in, man, and I prayed. I prayed, and I, I mean, I shared the gospel in my prayer. I went for it. Folks, there's a lot of people that need hope out there. There's a lot of stuff that's shaken down. And we've got the answer. We've got Christ. We've got him. We've got the solution. We've got the answer. And it's wrapped up with his absolute and powerful anointing. God is ready to give us divine moments if we ask for them. If we put ourselves, if we say, yes, Lord, send me. Yes, Lord, I am not going to shrink back. I'm going to continue to be your hands and feet. I'm going to continue to share your heart and let you use my mouth. If you start thinking and praying that way, watch them come. And that's how the church functions. It says they had sincerity and joy and praise. See, when something works, it brings joy. When they began to see that the darkness of their lives were being lifted, there was joy. There was celebration. There was, and that was, it, it, it went against everything. You know, it was like they could walk out of that home, that, that go out into the world that didn't seem to change. The headlines were still the same. The craziness is still going on. But inside my heart, I've got faith. Inside my mind, I know that the kingdom of God is still advancing. Inside me, in my spirit, I now know who I am in the context of eternity. You know, I wanted to start tonight by asking you that simple question. Folks, what on this planet lasts forever? Think about it. What is, in fact, what is the only thing on this planet that lasts forever? The trees? No. Even matter, think about it. How about energy? It says that energy in a closed system that only transfers from one, as long as there's a sun, then there's going to be energy. And this energy just transfers from trees to wood to fire to smoke to air to whatever. Take away the sun, it's over. It's done. What is the only thing on this planet that lasts forever? Us. It's us. And we get cut people. And we get so caught up with stuff. We get so caught up in all of the things. Folks, the reality, I mean, I don't know why we're so overwhelmed by death when the reality, all it is is a door. And for the Christian, for the Christian, it is just a transition from one form of existence into the one that we will be in for the preponderance of our eternity. And it's time for Christians to remember that. 
In fact, sharing the gospel is not walking around telling people, look, life is going to get good. Uh Uh-uh. That's not what Jesus said. What Jesus said was, you're going to live forever. If you accept me, if you believe in me, then what did he say about Lazarus, right? He says, he is going to live. And they're like, well, yeah, we see him coming out. And he goes, no, 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 no. I'm talking about I am the resurrection and the life for eternity. That's what's at stake here. And that's what becomes so evidently clear when we begin to realize, folks, what we're called to do and to be. What is at stake is the eternity of the people that you live with, the people that you know, the people that you work with, the people that you live next to, the people that you see walking in and out of the store or having lunch with or driving up in your driveway or delivering your mail or a package. Eternal beings, where will they spend eternity? Well, they don't have to spend it in hell. They don't. Because the gospel is the greatest news that any human being can hear. Not a soul has to spend not one nanosecond in that place of torment and separation. Nope. So folks, this is what we're called to be and to do. And when the church, when we embrace this and we just let all the other things just slide off our, our back, like the, off the duck's back, and we get back to doing what we're called to be and to do, then not only will we have joy and peace, not only will we have friendship and connection, but we're going to have favor. And God's going to make sure that we have everything we need in order to continue to succeed. That's his promise. If we forget, then we'll be eaten up with anxiety. We'll be overwhelmed with fears. We'll be consumed with all the questions. Well, what people think in this world will matter more to us than what God thinks about what's going on. To be the church, that's the solution, folks. We gotta keep moving forward. We can't forget. You wanna be a good neighbor? Then think about their eternity. And if you want to think about others' eternity, then you have to be secure in your own. And so we'll finish with that tonight. You know, if you're not for certain that if you die tonight, you go to heaven, if you've been overwhelmed and eaten up with the fear of death, then my friend, I've got the greatest news you could ever hear. Your Savior came to take care of that, to wipe it off the chart. Death is swallowed up in victory. It's just a word. Just a word. And when we know and believe, it says, how do we we have that confidence? We believe. We believe that's what Jesus said. we, We believe that what Jesus taught. It was his mission to let us know. He says, I'm the resurrection and life. He says, I've come. My Father sent me to fix your problem. Believe. Believe. Folks, let's stand up tonight. Let me pray for you. The last thing that happened in our story here is, and the Lord added to their number. And it says they enjoyed the favor of the community. You know, you can't. What do you do with love? (laughs) What do you do with love? You can't deny it. And that's why the people in the city of Jerusalem began to just say, these Christians, 
They're amazing people because they love us, they share with us, they reach for us, they care for us, they pray for us. Man, they've got something that I want. That's how it works. Folks, let's bow our heads. Let's close our eyes tonight. Lord, first of all, Lord, we want to be drawn in once again, God, to your purpose and vision and plan. Lord, I am under the impression tonight that most in this room tonight are the people that have been following hard after you. That's why, I mean, to come on a Thursday night, the commitment is there. The heart is there. So, Lord, I just pray now that, God, you just would refresh us, God. Reload the truth in our hearts, God. Sometimes we just got to reset, right? Reboot. Reboot our heart. Reboot our mind. That, Lord, we remember what it is that we're called to be and to do. That we not forget why we have the Holy Spirit. That we wouldn't, Lord, forget about what we're supposed to be doing in whatever vocation we're called to. Lord, where we find ourselves making money to survive. That, Lord, we're always salt and light. Help us. Lord, help us not to fear what's going on in the world today. Lord, we've been warned. We've been told this is what's going to happen. And, Lord, the world, most of the rest of the world is, it's already has been experiencing it. Now just give us a new faith. Lord, a new rejoicing. Lord, a new hope and excitement of, God, the wondrous things that are yet to come. And Lord, again, if there's anyone in this room, if you're here tonight, you're not for certain. If you died tonight, you'd go to heaven. I just want to encourage you just under your breath to say, Jesus, I believe. I believe in you. I believe you died on the cross for me. I believe that you rose from the dead. I believe that your blood washes all my sins away as a sacrifice for me. I believe. I believe you're coming again. I believe that when I die, I will be with you. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. I believe. If you prayed that prayer tonight, before you leave tonight, come on down here to the front. Meet with Pastor Jamie. He'd love to help you take your first steps. Lord, for the rest of us as we go, Lord, we go just as the early church did. Rejoicing, praising, excited about what it is, God, and the divine appointments you have come in our way. And Lord, the grace that's going to be poured out into our life, the miracles that are yet to be experienced. Lord, I thank you for that. I thank you. Now bless us and keep us. Make your face shine upon us tonight and all that we set our hands to. In Jesus' precious name, amen.